listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. It, this uh, anonymous texter, anonymous tweeter says, I love it when Brandon is on the podcast. I listen to it every time uh, he's on. Brandon Jaggers. Especially before I make love to my husband. Please have Brandon on more. And me, CC Broadus. Really? Yeah, I wonder this- who that is. everybody welcome to episode number 94 of the auxiliary gate podcast cc brought us and i'm joined by alan schneider alan it's a beautiful march day again yeah it really is uh with the exception everything outside is beautiful except those big bold gas prices that we see at kroger and everywhere else i think i saw 399 today so outside you know the weather's great the sun is shining it's warming up, but my God, those gas prices! Right? Everybody talks about everybody talks about takeout the racetrack. How about how about that takeout? You know, takeout the racetrack. Takeout on racetrack. That's a selective takeout. You choose to play that, but we all got to have gas and the other things. Right? I mean, it's gotten out of hand, hasn't it, sir? Yeah, they take a lot out of your wallet at the pump. That's for certain. You got that right. But outside of that, I mean, everything's a okay in in this part of town. Well, it's been a beautiful week. I love March, uh, March Madness for basketball. Uh, a lot of Kentucky Derby preps. Uh, racing starts yeah. to get a little bit more interesting. Uh, but before we get to that, I've got some breaking news. Oh. Yeah, in the world of romance, uh, apparently a Wisconsin woman has murdered her boyfriend while they were having a meth-fueled uh, sex party. Or sexual encounter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, this lady, I, I, I can't pronounce her name. Her name is, uh, her last name is S C H A B U S I N E S S, like Taylor, uh, Taylor Smith. Smith. No, okay. <laughs> well, her last name is Business, but anyway, she was giving this guy the business, and she choked him to death, and then started to uh, dismember him. Oh and apparently body parts were strewn about all over the house and other places. Uh, Alan, my question to you is, have you ever been to Wisconsin? And, and if so, what's your favorite type of cheese? <laughs> That's exactly where I thought you were heading. <laughs> Actually, I have been to Wisconsin. Lovely town, just the southernmost point. But we have family there now in Milwaukee, so we'll probably be going up this year. Uh, I will do my level best to stay away from this young lady. I'll try to buy her a drink at a bar or anything like that. My wife wouldn't like that anyway, but I am going to write that name down. It's fairly distinct, uh, so I can maybe avoid her because it sounds like not the kind of woman you want to get busy with, right? And my my favorite cheese, I like I like pepper jack and Swiss quite a bit. She's going to she's you're not going to run into her. She's she's in jail on like a five hundred billion dollar bond, and I don't I don't think anybody's going to bail her out anytime soon, but. Uh, I wish her luck in whatever comes uh, next. That's that's a disturbing, disturbing story, to say the least. Don't meth with her, correct? Outstanding. Yes. <laughs> Moving right along, since we last had our, uh, our previous podcast, uh, we've got a new Kentucky Derby winner. Mandaloon is now <laughs> yeah. the reigning Kentucky Derby champ. 
as uh, the Bob Baffert train Medina Spirit has been disqualified. Uh, don't uh, hold your breath. This thing is probably going to be played out in the courts for several years. Uh, Dancer's Image was disqualified in 1968, and I think they didn't actually decide who the eventual Derby winner was until four years later. So uh, we'll set that aside for now. But Bob Baffert has been suspended. Now, today that suspension was given a stay until, I believe, March 17th, and then we're getting into all kinds of legal mumbo-jumbo that I have no idea what I'm talking about. But... uh, Baffert, I, I assume, still has hope of, uh, of beating that suspension, but that's that's uh, that, that's a job for Will Nesker. Maybe we'll bring yeah. him and explain all this stuff. But uh, any mm-hmm. any thoughts on uh, what's mm-hmm. transacted since uh, the last time we met up? Well, I guess you know you see sometimes you see der- horses win the Derby and they come back to run poorly every once in a while, and I guess the uh, eleven month layoff for uh, for Mandaloon kind of got the best of them. Uh, obviously just kidding when he ran in Saudi Arabia. Did not run well in Saudi Arabia. Um, but you know, as I said, as I've told some buddies of mine, I need eight more disqualifications, uh, to cook for my derby horse to get put up, right? Of, uh, highly motivated. He ran 10. So I need about eight more of these scenarios to play out so I can get, perhaps get some money back. Uh, but that said, that said the whole Baffert thing, I'm against I don't care for the guy. I know we talk about it gets talked about endlessly and such. Uh, I try to stay away from it because it is frustrating and it's mind numbing. It reminds me of, of what's happened with Louisville basketball. Louisville basketball has underwent uh, six years of yes, they screwed up, but they've been you know they've been strung out for so long that you almost become immune to it. You come numb to it. You kind of just wish it kind of go away. And it kind of reminds me of this because I'm feeling this is going to be the same thing, right? Uh, it's just gonna be long, long and drawn out, and it's probably never gonna be in. It gives people something to talk about, but I'd rather focus on something else. Uh, but it, it, I, I do see similarities between that and the unfortunate situation with little basketball. But I personally hope he doesn't run. But that's just me. Yeah, I'm 100 uh, agreement with you. Uh, let's go on to happier subjects. Uh, this this coming Saturday. A great day of horse racing, coast to coast. Gulf oh, yeah. Park's got a ton of stakes races. Santa Anita, the same. There's going to be coast to coast pick fives, dollar pick fives, uh, using the the dirt races at those two tracks. And then there's going to be a separate $1 pick five with the turf races, the 12% takeout. Uh, if, if you like to gamble, then uh, this weekend it is definitely for you. And let's not leave out Turfway Park as well. Turfway's got a Derby prep race and an Oaks prep race too. The uh, the John Battaglia Stakes and the Cincinnati Trophy Stakes. Uh, uh, what would be a good Cincinnati Trophy if you won that race? What would, what would you expect to receive? Oh, Cincinnati Trophy. Um, what's that that thing? I mean, I know they talk about all the time that that weird food they eat up there. It starts with a G, maybe. What's you know what I'm talking about? It starts with a G. Maybe maybe I had that wrong. G. I can't think. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let, let's go aside from that for a second. How about uh, a Johnny Bench catcher's mitt? Perhaps a gold Johnny Bench catcher's mitt. That'd be nice, right? I was going uh, to go with a bowl of chili. A bowl of chili. I know the, the skyline's big up there, right? We see that a, yeah. a lot. I and mean, I get up there. I get up there once in a while, but. The historian, the baseball historian, I mean, which we're going to touch on a little bit later, I would go with a Johnny Bench, 
uh, Golden Mitt, perhaps um, a replica of Pete Rose uh, sliding in to home base or actually destroying uh, Ray, was it Ray Fossey at home plate in the 70s, uh, something like that. That'd be cool for me. How about a, a, a figurine, a replica of Pete Rose on his on the uh, dugout phone placing a pick six wager? At, uh, That's true. Now, yeah, because he used to do that stuff at Turfway, right? There was some shady stuff he, he and the owner of Turfway did back in the 80s, you know. Uh, so that would be kind of just, to be honest with you. For those that don't know that stuff online, there, there was some – that uh, his gambling addiction made us uh, over the river to Kentucky a little bit. Uh, with some of the horse racing things. If you, do you remember that, CC? Do you remember yeah, that story? Yeah, vaguely. That was yeah. yeah I was, it might have been the nineties. The nineties. Early nineties. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, but big weekend. Uh, Fountain of Youth at uh, Gulfstream. A big three-year-old prep for the Florida Derby. Uh, and you know, nice horses in there. I think I heard Mo Donegal, who drew the twelve holes, going to scratch. May go next week in the Tampa Bay Derby. Uh, but uh, nice, nice field of eleven remaining, and then at the West Coast, the San Felipe drew a decent field as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Baffert's got two in there, and uh, Dick Mandela has a Forbidden Kingdom. It'll probably be the favorite, probably uh, Speed, Early Speed. But then, then you've got the San Anita Handicap as well. Big, big day of racing. Uh, but we're going to concentrate real quick on the two stakes races at Turfway. And, That's right. Yeah, the first. Of those is race number five, and that's the John Battaglia Memorial Stakes. Mile 16 for three-year-olds. Uh, both of these races have standout favorites. Uh, in in the Battaglia number 10, Tiz the Bomb. Now he's five to two on the morning line. I would venture a guess that they, he'll be less than that at post time. Uh, let's get your thoughts on the on the John Battaglia. Yeah, well, a couple of uh, things uh, before we get started. One, we want we know everyone's going to discuss. Uh, Gulfstream and all that, and it's a great car. Don't get me wrong, Santa Anita, but you know, this is a Kentucky podcast. People know my feelings about Turfway, so we're gonna give them their due a little bit and and touch on Turfway a little bit. Also, wonder why if we're gonna have an all dirt cross country pick five and an all turf cross country pick five, why can't we got Turfway involved? And it had Gulf Gulfstream have some synthetic race, had an all synthetic pick five. Could we not have done that? Right? I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there was a missed opportunity there. But to me, I mean, I'm not going to play 17 pick fives over the course of the day, but you get my point. You know me, I might have played that one. Uh, back to the race. We, and there's another reason I, I personally wanted to discuss this race. Uh, a couple of my favorite horses are in here, but the one, Goldeneye, want to mention this horse. This horse we talked about in our pod at right after debut. We had Sarah Hamilton on. We've had Farron Peterson on. And this horse came up both times. Both of these ladies were extremely high on this horse. Uh, proved uh, everything that everyone said was right about this horse when the horse folks made it 40 to 1 for Sarah and Farron is a tra- fantastic training job, fantastic ride job. Unfortunately, the horse has now switched hands in the William Morey barn who does amazing work at Turfway. So just want to give a shout out to Sarah and Farron because I, I, they no longer have the horse, but it, it, because of their work, this horse is in this spot with a chance to, you know, an outsider's chance to go to the Kentucky Derby, right? So. Congrats to those two ladies for such a great job, right, CC? Absolutely, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, that's a feather in the cap for uh, Sarah to be able yeah. to develop a horse that's uh, stakes worthy, and uh, yeah, that that's that bodes well for her future. I know she she's young, but she'll get she'll get another opportunity down the road, hopefully. Yeah, it's just a great job this horse. We discussed it uh, at nauseum on here, and the horse airs at forty to one, 
And, uh, so they're excited. We're, we were happy for them. We really, we were happy for all of the success that our guests have. Uh, when they do well, it, it makes us happy. It really does. It's, we're not just saying that. So on yeah. to the race, on to the yeah, race. Back to the race. Yeah. Number 10, Tiz the Bomb, going to be ridden by another uh, podcast, uh, previous guest. That's yes. uh, Alex Ashar. And he will be aboard Tiz the Bomb for Kim McPeak. I do think he's the one to beat. I mean, that's, that's nothing remotely, uh, out of the out of the realm of you know, there's nothing shocking. Uh, I've been a big fan of this horse. I know it did not run a step down the Gulf Stream, but uh, this is probably the right spot. This is a really cagey spot. McPeak put put him in. This is not this is not the Jeff Ruby. This horse outclasses these horses if he takes the sin. It's a big opportunity for Alex Ashard. We like Alex a lot. Uh, I I firmly believe Tis the bombs the one to beat. A couple of alternatives. Got to throw out a couple of alternatives. Obviously, stolen base. Um, they've taken baseball season away from people so far, but we have a horse named Stolen Base here, and Stolen Base was right there last year with uh, Tis the Bomb at Keenum and the Bourbon, made a really nice late run, uh, had pretty nice comeback, ran behind a horse in this race, as Brad Cox says, but I think Stolen Base could run really well. And the Golden Eyes we just mentioned, right? Golden Eyes, it's William Morey. Morey's horses have absolutely fired the really good ones have just run lights out. Uh, he's bringing the horse back pretty quickly off that maiden win, so we'll see. But I still find him intriguing from the rail. We know the horse has talent. We've discussed it. And I would also have to mention the other Maury horse. I think May's going to be, be a sleeper in the race. Uh, they're going to overlook that last couple races where the horse did not get up to win. Got passed late by another horse in the race. But legendary lore at 15-1 to 1 is really tempting as well. Those are the four I'm focusing on. Um, I'm sure Tiz the Bombs will want to be, but maybe I'll build something uh, with those guys there. Who do you like? Well, Tiz the Bomb is going to be my single in the early. Yeah, pick, uh, I, I don't blame you. If I play it. Now, these mile and 16th races at Turfway, they, there's some speed in here. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's three horses that probably want to be on the lead or near the lead. If that happens, this race could very well fall apart late, and you'll just see horses coming from, from way out of it. So, the race is never going to be over until the finish line. You know, some of these some of these races at Turf Weather, they're over at the eighth pole, the sixteenth pole. I think this race could could very well come down to the wire. It's going to be the horse that's the fittest. I think Tiz the Bomb's got the foundation. Five starts I, as a two year old. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, throw out the last race. Uh, what, whatever happened, now, who knows what happened uh, on uh, Holy Bull Day? But he didn't he didn't fire his best shot. But I think he'll he'll do all right here. Uh, you know. I hate to be chalky, but I mean, a horse like Stolen Base or uh, or Bloodline would be the others that, to pick up the pieces. Uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to keep an eye on Legendary Lore at, at fifteen to one. That horse got past late in that last race. It was a monster maiden claiming graduate that won the race named Eli. But Legendary Lore tucked to the inside. I think that cost him. He did get passed. I think that race was a little bit wonky. Uh, going back to the pre- previous form, don't be surprised if Legendary Lore. Uh, runs better than he did last time. Maybe gets uh, gets a big part of this. It's it's that's that's the long shot I'm tabbing. And again, turf is a lot of times about the finish. I, I uh, I'm a believer in you've got to have a horse with some solid late pace numbers. And I could see Legendary Lore maybe laying a little bit further off this time. And, but anyway, Tizabom is the one to beat. Now let's turn the page. Right after the Bataglia is the Cincinnati Trophy, hundred twenty five thousand dollars, one mile. Phillies three unit, or excuse me, three year old Phillies. And there's going to be a heavy favorite here, number five, Marissa's Lady. Now, 
we've talked, we've been taught a lesson many, many years ago by the legendary Harvey Pack is that you don't bet a horse as the favorite doing something she's never done before. And that's what Marissa's lady's doing. She's stretching out off four straight sprint races and, uh, she's going to go off as a heavy favorite here. She looks like a, just an absolute walkover. Can we beat Marissa's lady? And if so, who can do it? Uh, I'm a believer, uh, yeah, I, you know, finding ways to go against, uh, short prices. Uh, but th- then again, it's really hard to knock Marissa's lady, right? And yes, going two turns, but the horses looked even better at Turfway than it did at Churchill. And she looked fantastic at Churchill. I, I do think she's the one. And to me, it's going to be a, a cold deck exacta. If I were to bet the race with Marissa's lady and the horse to really keep in mind here, and I'll tell you why is tap dancing lady. For, uh, Ronald Kalos. It's a horse I know, uh, Caitlin tabbed it like, Caitlin Free tabbed like 65 to 1 with Broca's Maiden. Um, this horse last time, this is, these are for three-year-old fillies, right? Early, this horse ran against older horses last time. And was against a seasoned, tough as nails, turfway vet named Straight Out of Popcorn. And the horse easily could have won the race. It got a little crazy down the stretch or whatever. Tap dancing lady, who's barely three years old, almost beat all her horses, which I'm guessing they, they threw the horse in a race just because there was nowhere else to run. Um, so the horse had a stout close to win first out, beat a really nice Mark Cassie horse named Beautiful Empire, comes back and um, was moving late. I'm telling you that third by neck, the horse could have won the race. Straight out of popcorns, well, I don't know, 16 races at Turfway. It seems like that. So uh, give me a cold exact to Marissa's Lady and Tap Dancing Lady. The connections of Ronald Kalis, it's gonna it's gonna keep this price somewhat inflated, but again, I mean, this is a three year rating against older horses in, in, in February. So, give me those two. It'll be sprinkle a little Valentina Day Boma and uh, maybe Hal's Dream underneath that. But cold deck at Marissa's Lady and Tap Dancing Lady for me. Yeah, Tap Dancing Lady. Uh, I was looking at you stole my thunder on her. The, the, yeah. If straight out of popcorn was in this race, what would her odds be? Well, it'd be nice. It's an older horse. It's a, like a five-year-old horse, right? This one, right. like eight or ten times a time. I mean, I don't maybe it's not eight, but wins all the time. Tap the well against Marissa's lady. I mean, you know, probably be eight, nine to five, nine yeah. to five. Marissa's lady be four to five. I think so too. I mean, yeah, tap dancing lady was, was right there. The only problem for me is the is the the, the quick turnaround. Not was it nine days? A nine-day turnaround. You know, that's. Uh, but uh, I think she'll she'll run a race. The only other one that I really found interesting was number six queen judith who raced on january 16th at turfway i think uh landeros probably would uh, admit that he'd like to have that ride back on her uh she finished well finished strongly to finish second that day behind valentina day i think uh i think if he's more patient this time and maybe he just keeps her out of trouble i think she'll finish strong that would be that would be my exact partner with marissa's lady Maybe yeah, a cold deck, a five, six straight exactor. Right. Uh, a cold deck, you won the second race. They may want to, uh, we just like saying cold deck around here. We are seeing D-E-C-K, by the way. Uh, it, it rolls off the tongue nicely. It really does. Super high voltage in race to the tournament is going to be extremely tough to beat. That's a, it's had a phenomenal win last time. Horses eligible for starter companies. They dumped, uh, dropped the horse in the starter company last time. Uh, and it was just tons of the best because, I mean, the, the class of the race. You see that sometimes with horses who are uh, get really good and run at a high level, but they're still eligible for a starter company because they ran for 5,000 or 10,000 way back when. Super high voltage fits that bill. Loves the all-weather track. 
that said, be careful, be wary on the outside of a horse called Can't Bet Them All. Uh, Can't Bet Them All is 10 to 1 in the morning line and has gotten really good at turf way for Jamie Grubbs. Jamie Grubbs does a nice job with a limited stock, you know, lesser stock. Got really good at turf way, moving slightly up the ladder, slightly later. Went against Leblon last time by Queen of some really nice horses at the 25,000 uh, N1X level. If you go back and watch that race, and I saw it live, Camp at them all out of the 11 hole, just broke to the right, just broke horribly. And it looked like she was overmatched that day anyway. But despite that terrible break, the horse still come run and made a big move on the turn to threaten to win the race. LeBlanc eventually, who's a, who's a classier horse beater, but uh, can't bet them all back into this uh, uh, starter allowance. Uh, a little more reasonable for this horse. So keep an eye on that horse at 10 to 1. Yeah, with super high voltage, there's a little bit more pace in this race, too. Uh, she may not, or he may not be on the lead by himself this time. So that might well, I think. Sense. I think last time they just sent the horse because they knew they had the best horse. Uh, they, they may sit off of it today. We'll see. You see that sometimes. I got the best horse. I'm just going. Screw everybody else. So, yeah, but you, you're right about that. Okay. So uh, that's uh, Turfway Park for this Saturday. Uh, exciting. Exciting day of racing. That's that's probably going to be the nightcap for me after a, after a long day. Th- th- these are races you don't even have to bet most of them. You can just uh, enjoy them as a fan. Agree, agree. I'm with you there. Uh, we'll save the big money for later, but uh, yeah, just enjoy the enjoy the day. So uh, right now, let's. Uh, I see Brandon Jaggers has uh, joined us finally. All right, he just walked in the door, and now we're going to uh, uh, introduce our special guest as well. So without further ado, here we go. Our guest this evening, as we often say, needs no introduction. He's well-known in racing circles. You may know him for his previous stints as the track announcer at Louisiana Downs, Portland Meadows, River Downs, Gulf Spring Park West, or Calder, as I like to call it. And he's the current track announcer at Tampa Bay Downs, as well as Colonial Downs in Virginia and Grants Pass Downs in Oregon. You may also know him as the author of the book Southbound that you can find on Amazon and other retailers. Or you might know him as uh, the host of the Jason Beam Racing Podcast, readily available online wherever you listen to your uh, favorite podcast. Uh, You may also know him as the creator of the Beamy Awards, the more entertaining digital sister to the Sports Eclipse Awards. Unfortunately, the Beamies are no more, but the man behind all these ventures has decided to join us tonight. Above all, he might be the nicest man in horse racing. I'm talking, of course, about Jason Bean. Jason, good evening. It's it's good to be with you guys. That was, that was quite the introduction. <laughs> well, we try. I worked all day on that. So <laughs> the hardest part's <laughs> over now. Well, we're big fans of yours, so you know uh, this is a, a we have a lot of fanboy moments while we do these podcasts, and we're very grateful that uh, you decided to join us. Uh, Jason, you're not the first guest, though, we've had from the Pacific Northwest. We had Shelly Riley on last spring, mm-hmm. uh, and she, I think she lives in Oregon now, uh, but I'd invite anybody to, to listen to that pod. That was, a, that was a fun pod, I think, for us. But, uh, Jason, you grew up in that area. Uh, how did you get involved in horse racing? And, and kind of tell us about the racing scene in, in the Washington, Oregon area. Yeah, I, uh, I I grew up in uh, Renton, Washington, which was actually the town that uh, Longacres Racetrack was in, and Longacres was was our track from I think 1933 to 92, and um, I mean I le- legit grew up up the hill from it, so it was like a, it was like a 10 minute drive down there, and my dad was a horse player, and 
uh, took me as a lot or quite a bit as a kid. You know, I remember going a lot of Friday nights and, and Sunday days and um, I have still, th- I mean, they closed when I was 12, but I have a lot of vivid memories of, of that place and what it looks like. And the ground where it still sits is a lot of it's undeveloped. Boeing bought it and uh, they only developed kind of like the one little corner. And so if you go walk around down there, some of the floor tiling is still there and like the little, the wall that you would actually lean up against the, basically the outer rail um, is, is still there in parts. And so, uh, the, uh, the ghost of long acres lives, but yeah, I, uh, I was obsessed with it right away as a kid. I, I, I loved horse racing. I used to go home after the races at long acres and our, our neighborhood are, was like a perfect oval around it. And so I would, you know, replay the races and I'd put on my baseball mm-hmm. pants. So it looked like jockey pants and, um, you know, whip my bike and here comes captain condo on the outside and, you know, do the Gary Henson calls and, um, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I, I wanted to be a jockey. And of course, if you know me now, I'm six, four and not 121 pounds. <laughs> and so that, that dream, that dream died pretty early on, but, uh, yeah, I was uh, baseball and horse racing. Those were like my two things growing up. And, um, you know, Washington used to have like a lot of States kind of have a, a big circuit and, you know, Long Acres was the centerpiece of that. And there was uh, sundowns and there was Playfair and Yakima Meadows and, you know, all of them are gone now, except for Emerald Downs, which took Long Acres spot as kind of the i think they call it class a track and uh oregon kind of the same thing they had a a circuit and they still have a little bit of a circuit with grants pass and then the the oregon fairs but it's uh not what it was but uh, yeah the racing in the northwest has a, a really really great and fun history um i'm i'm pretty bad about racing history on the national level but i'm pretty pretty well versed in in washington history with racing i'm looking over the uh long acres mile past winners right now the the, the I followed racing. I started right around 1987, 88. Mm-hmm. We used to we used to get these. Uh, uh, Tom Hammond would host this Winter Circle update. Uh, it would be on local television. That's where yeah. I, I got to know all these racetracks. And I remember Long Acres. Right had the yellow rail. Yellow rail. That's right. With the, right. The, the, Is that, that a theme of, throughout the racetrack? The their, their, yeah, their colors were kind of. Uh, uh, I don't want. I'm not sure what kind of green, but. A certain kind, a certain look of green and yellow. And uh, if you, the rail was yellow, the actual like circular part, but the little stands that held it up were that same dark green. And the the wall that I was telling you about that's still there was that green color. And a lot of their logoed merchandise, their logo was a jockey, and and they always used the phrase doodah. That was you know because the, the the song at Long Acres was doodah doodah, and you know, and so uh, that was kind of their their tagline. But yeah, the green and yellow uh, colors was was definitely. Uh, synonymous there and they had this great infield totalizator board you know real kind of a triple decker type looking thing and um yeah it was the infield was just immaculate too like if you go look up some pictures of it um you know the area like they had like a uh, where you would pull the the gate like a mile race would start and the gate would actually pull into the infield instead of you know, right. along the side, like a lot of tracks do. And, um, they were like perfectly manicured bushes that like made up the lane for the gate to park in and stuff. And there was actually a, a house behind the tote board that Maury Alhadaf, who was the owner of the track, uh, he lived there, uh, in the summer times. And there's actually a really great documentary. It's on, if you just go, it's called miracle strip and it's all about long acres and its history. And it's on the Seattle channel website and it's free to watch. At least it has been for years. Um, and if, if anybody wants to know about long acres, it's really a great documentary. It literally takes you all the way up to, you know, when it closed and, you know, Gary Stevens won the last race there. He was, that's kind of where he came up was Idaho and Oregon and, 
you know, he was leading right at Portland Meadows a couple of years and at Long Hairs, and then he went, you know, to the big time. But uh, he came back and he won the last race there. And there, there's a great moment. I actually posted the video on my YouTube channel of Gary Henson's last call. He, he, you know, he says, there they go. And they, they go to the first turn. He doesn't say anything. And then he says, ladies and gentlemen, these horses belong to you. Listen to their final thunder. And then he clips the mic off and the whole final race at Long Hairs just goes in silence. That's awesome. It's it's a yeah. great video. Go go watch it. Trust me. I will. That's amazing. I don't want to steal your thunder, Cece, but I I actually think that's fantastic. But Jason, I was trying to judge your age. I was thinking you're younger than me, but you you mentioned Captain Condo. I know that was a he was a nice horse back in oh, the yeah. day. But that it, wasn't he around like late eighties. He was late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. 90s. He, uh, he basically okay. he he was. He, I mean, he ran till he was you know, pretty old, uh, but he was, yeah, 88, 89, 90, 91 and 92, the final year he was, cause he finished second in the last long acres mile. But, um, yeah, he was, he was, he was like a legit superhero there. Like they used to have captain condo t-shirt day. And I mean, they, the whole, they have 20,000 people that would show up for it. And he, he, uh, a crazy captain condo story. And if I start talking to, I can talk about this stuff all night. So if I start <laughs> talking ahead. too much, just tell me, go ahead, brother. But, uh, captain condo. So he was, easily the most popular horse in the Northwest for those last few years. Like there was some others in the eighties and seventies, but he, uh, so he, he ran it, uh, you know, when long acres ended, he ran at Yakima Meadows, which Yakima kind of operated for the four years before Emerald was built. And he retired in those four years. But when Emerald was built, they were going to, they wanted captain condo to lead, like be the first horse on the track, so to speak, even though they'd had training obviously for a couple of months. So June 20th of 96 was the first day Emerald Downs opened. And part of the the opening festivities was Captain Condo was like going to lead the first post parade. I forget what the exact duty he was having, but he was supposed to kind of inaugurate the track, right? So the morning of June 20th, they, they take him out onto the track just to get him out there and gallop. And he has a heart attack and dies on the track. And so he's actually buried at, right wow. inside inside of where he died, like at the three eighths pole, he's buried uh, right over by there. But I, it was such a weird story and coincidence. But you know, it, it kind of almost in a weird way adds to the mythology of of Captain Condo for me. Right, indeed. <laughs> uh, uh, looking at these past winners of the Long Acres Mile, that was a very important race back in the day. I'm looking at Skywalker and Judge yeah, Angelucci. Oh, forget about it. Chinook yeah. Pass. Uh, he was a he, Chinook Pass. I think is the only. Washington-based horse to win an Eclipse Award. He was champion sprinter in 83. And, and Lafitte Pinkai, like he's said many times, he said it to me too, the fastest horse he ever rode, which, you know, I mean, obviously he's been on a few good ones. And so, uh, yeah, the, it's it's kind of, as a as a fan, it's it's tough to see it, you know, run for a quarter million dollars back then and now for 150 now. But, right. you know, it, it, it is what it is. Well, yeah, I don't want to get on my soapbox, but I think the, the, the race lost its graded stakes. Status. It did. It did this year, yeah. which which is a bummer. I mean, it, it, that was always such a a claim for them. And they, I mean, they used to get California. Every it, what was great about the mile was almost every year it was kind of the same. There'd be a big California horse, usually a couple of Canadian horses who were always very good, all the best local horses, and it was just kind of this great mix. And some years the local horse won, a lot of years the California horse won, and uh, lately it's become more of a local race because Californians just aren't going to ship for a hundred thousand or 150,000, especially now that's not graded, which is going to be tough for them. But I still, you know, I, I root for Emerald. I want them to succeed and I want racing in my hometown to succeed. So Jason, what point did you decide you want to be a track announcer? Um, I was, I, I have a specific moment when it kind of clicked for me. Um, I used to be obsessed, like I said, with Gary Henson, the announcer at long years, like I would redo the calls and stuff, but I never thought about it as a job. And, um, 
I was doing real estate. This would have been 2005 and I was horrendous at it. And, uh, I, I just wasn't a go-getter. <laughs> you had to be a go-getter to do that. But, um, there was a, I was, I was in the quarter shoot cafe at Emerald Downs, which is like one of the only track kitchens that's open to the public. And, um, I was betting on Hollywood Park on the 4th of July, had the American Oaks, and I was watching in the corner TV, and a horse named Cesario won, who was a Japanese horse that came over, and just, it's, to me, it was the perfect race call. Like, I just thought Vic Stoffer's call of this race was unbelievable, and the, the hair on my arm stood up. Uh, I went and bought binoculars the next day, and I was like, I could I could do that, maybe, you know? And, I, and obviously, I can't do what he did in races like that, but um, I started practicing upstairs there, and... Uh, you know, I, I was I'd worked there as a turf rider in 2004, and so they were kind enough to let me sneak over into the suites when there was nobody there and practice. And started practicing at Portland Meadows that fall, and um, that winter, Portland Meadows just—I mean, I was going every weekend and sitting up on the roof practicing into my little tape recorder. And they finally just said, "You know what? You're you're showing all this effort. Like you can do a race." And so they didn't give me any warning, which actually helps because I would have just been way yeah. too washed out if they didn't. And so uh, called a race. It went. Okay, I forgot to breathe, which is turns out this important thing. And I didn't have any history of of announcing or using a microphone or public speaking or any of that. So that was all new to me. So hearing myself over the speakers really threw me off because I was like, you know, you start to listen to yourself, which you can't do. And uh, but a couple weeks later, they let they uh, they let me call two more races, and those actually went okay. And then the guy who was the primary announcer, Mike O'Brien, was sick, uh, and so I got to do a whole day's races, and I can. I can pl- is, is language a problem on here? <laughs> Please lay it out there. I, I really fucked up the sixth race and the seventh <laughs> race. And I, in the sixth race that day, I'll never forget it. I I out loud mocked myself. I, really? I they, they were going up the backstretch, and I said, and it's it's three and a half more lengths back, and it was like a half a length. Like it, the horse wasn't even a full length behind the next horse. And I just go, I literally said, it's three and a half lengths back to so and so, and I stopped and I go, three and a half lengths, like in the call. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who was the head boss there, a guy named Dwayne Music, he called me afterwards. He's like, you shouldn't have your inner monologue speaking <laughs> over the <laughs> air. So what I ended up doing was I had the TV guys make me a demo tape of races one through five. And uh, and, and I uh, I used that as my demo tape. And I, I got hired at River Downs. God, it was a couple weeks later. I, I remember because a guy named Greg Boomer Rye, who uh, was a longtime announcer at Yavapai and uh, Woodlands and a lot, of, a lot of smaller tracks, he was kind of helping me out and you know Vic Stoffer had given me some advice about things to do and Vic actually told me that Great Lakes Downs and River Downs were looking for people and um he told me he goes you know usually you got to kind of start at a fair just so you can get a couple races he goes but you got a couple races at Portland that'll you know that'll at least give you a tape and so I sent it you know and this is email was a thing but like Jason figuring out how to make a demo tape on youtube was not a thing so i i I sent out hard copies of the dvds to those two tracks and and river downs called and um i talked to them for like 20 or 30 minutes it wasn't an interview i just kind of talked to the guy and they called back like a week later it was the funny thing was when i got offered that job i'd been out all night playing poker and uh like till like five in the morning and i remember i woke up at like one west coast time so of course they're almost done with business over at river downs that day and uh i had like six emails from boomer rye and the first one was like dude give me a call 
hey man, uh, River just talked to me. Give give me a call. And by the fifth email, it's like, where the hell are you? You know. And uh, so I I called River, and the guy was like, you want it? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so we we started talking. He's telling me what I'm doing. He goes, don't you want to know what it pays? And I was like, I don't even care, man, because <laughs> I was like 25 years old. Right. You know, I, I remember it was it was they gave me 175 a day plus 50 a day for the race office. I had to work at the race office the first year, and you know, 25 like 1100 a week. I was like, let's do it. More money than I ever made. Awesome. So let's back up. Uh, to, yeah. you, you're, you're advising us to uh, go watch Gary Henson's last call at Long Acres. Uh, uh, Vic Stoffer's call at Hollywood. Uh, oh. Hollywood's last race. I was just curious what your uh, opinion of that that call was. I've always been a big Vic fan. Um, I th- I I know some people think he goes over the top, and, and but I, I I love it. Like I I there's there's still very few people I'd want, if any, on a you know for a big race to call because he'll he'll take some chances. He'll think of something cool to say. Um, you know all the Zenyatta races and and stuff like that. I I thought it was really really well done. I've heard some people over the years say it was too much, but I thought it was, and plus it was such a great race too, right? And the fact that it ended oh, with a photo, and I think he, I, I forget the the phrase that he used, but it was something to do with you know Hollywood and picture and you know that kind of thing. I just thought it was exceedingly yeah. well done. I, uh, I remember watching that race. I was in the, I was in my car in a parking lot watching it on my yeah. phone. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I I, I love that. I get chills every time I go back oh, and watch that race. I, I, yeah. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, they, there was a certain uh, rider from Daily Racing Forum that uh, poo-pooed that old situation. Well, uh, yeah, if, I, if it's who I'm thinking of, he poo-pooed Vic a lot over the years. Okay. And if you if you, if you they every year when when Delmar would start, this was years in a row, he would write. Um, back in, you know on the airwaves is Trevor Denman, who's been sorely missed on this circuit since April. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it would be worded the same way every every year. I always I, I never really liked that, but you know people can write what they want. So to me, I think track announcers are what got me into the game. Great great calls of great races. Like for me, is Tom Durkin and Dave Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who are your favorite? Well, uh, I, outside of Gary Gary Henson, of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, your favorite track announcers. Uh, well, I, I'm, it's kind of hard cause, right. Cause I'm buddies with most of those guys, but you know, certainly those guys, um, that we've talked about, I mean, Tom Dirk and I, I mean, he's kind of secretary in the Belmont compared to everybody else. If we're being honest, I think, but, um, Robert Geller at Emerald was a big influence for me just in the sense that he was our hometown guy, but he was also so nice to me. Um, I, I think that with him going to Woodbine, people have kind of seen more of, of how good he is, you know, Emerald and Sunland where he was at and even Portland where I was like, we're so remotely away from everything. And I remember, I remember Geller telling me about, he had applied for a job maybe 2012 or so. It was at a big track and the guy messaged back. He's like, where's Emerald Downs? <laughs> like the guy never even heard of the track. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, but Robert certainly, I mean, I could, I could name a bunch of guys. I, Dave Rodman's always one that I cite at, cause if somebody's like, Oh, you know, who's your influence? Not as an influence, just, I think our styles are a little bit in the same vein as in terms of being quick and being accurate and, you know, really trying to rattle off as much information as we can. And, you know, my style is not over the top at all. I don't think I try to be pleasant on the ear and be efficient and accurate. And I don't, I don't give a whole lot of fluff. Dave Rodman's call of the 1987 super derby was, was I think it was one of the best calls ever uh, with Ali Sheba and candy's gold and parochial. I, I remember that. I could almost call that race word for word. That was, uh, I'm pretty sure I, I uh, taped that on the VCR and watched yeah. it over and over. That was, well, that, that's uh, the Cesario call I was talking about for Vic. Yeah. I'm saying, I mean, I can, I can from the half mile po home, I can word for word it still. And I haven't watched it in yeah. a year. So you wear glasses, right? I do. Yeah. Like me. Yeah. So 
I mean, to me, that's kind of a sign of intelligence and sex appeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Let's keep going. I mean, it's all, for me, it's also a sign of someone that can't see real well. <laughs> but how do you how do you handle calling a race when you need to wear glasses? But you know, you've got to have binoculars too. What? Yeah. You have a system or, or a method no. of calling um, a race that way? Is that a big deal? No, not for me. However, I'll say that a lot of guys I've seen over the years do. Um, they do take their, like, I know Richard Grunder used to do this. Like he would put his glasses up on his forehead and call through the binoculars only. Um, and obviously have them focused to his vision. And Vic Stoffer used to use like the Horace Grant glasses, like the, the, uh, the basketball ones. And <laughs> yeah, same thing. Yeah. And, and, and at the eighth pole, he would bring them down. Um, I have no problem at all using my glasses with the binoculars. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily put my glasses up onto the lens, but I have them very, very close. And sometimes they probably, uh, bump into it, but I, I I really have no problem with uh, with with doing that. Although, like I said, I've seen a lot of guys who it's a whole thing. I mean, the vision is a it's a factor. I've noticed that you know a lot of announcers they hit you know into their 60s, and and I think seeing just becomes more difficult. And you know, I had a, I had a race I I've, I had a race at uh, Tampa this year where it was right you know right around Christmas, so it was like the shortest day possible, and the last race was. It was starting to get a little bit dark, and the shadows were playing around. And there was there was a horse who, you know, at the eighth pole was kind of pulling away. And I, I took off my binoculars and was just going to kind of call him home easy. And when I look back at him, I'm like, that looks like the 13 horse. Is this the 10 or the 13? And I, I said 13, and I look, I go, oh shit, that's not the 13. <laughs> and I, I truthfully have only had that happen. I mean, I uh, I could think of one time at Colonial where I called the wrong horse down the lane, but down the lane, you know, you're usually you know, I mean, I pride myself on on really, really memorizing hard and knowing them, and so it, it caught me off guard. But it made me realize, like, you just you can't you can't take a minute or two off doing this because boy, you get burned. You ever call races off the TV screen? No, uh, I, no, no, that's a lie. I have um, at Portland Meadows. I guess it would have been 2013. I, I used to have a lot of problems with anxiety issues, and and there was one year I was really in a bad shape and and missed a couple of weeks because I was hospitalized. All this stuff, and I was really struggling going up to the booth because I was just any, anything like being away from my house or my car. I was becoming an agoraphobic essentially. Uh, and so my boss was nice enough to let me, he set up a microphone and everything downstairs in the office, like right by the parking lot. And so I called a whole like three quarters of a meet off the TV. And it's, it's, it's very unideal because you, it's just so easy to miss stuff. You're first of all, you're at the whim of the cameraman who, if they're not showing somebody, you're just you're you're kind of tough luck. Um, Tampa, I do use the TV for the fractions because the tote board has the fractions listed in tenths, so it'll say like uh-huh. twenty two point seven, even though it's twenty two point six eight or whatever. Um, and so I have a TV kind of right next to me, so I will go to that the uh, fractions and. Um, but that's that's mostly. And the other thing that's actually nice I, at Tampa, I'm past the wire ways, and it's really tricky to call photos there. I feel like I'm getting a little better with it with the naked eye, and some of that's just repetition. But um, the TV is actually about half a second or a second behind because you know it's got to go out to the um, satellite and back and all that stuff. But um, so I, I will on occasion I'll say photo, and then I'll look to my left real quick. Oh, I think so and so might have got it, you know, because the TV's right on or the camera's right on the wire. Which early in the meet, you know, I there's a couple times I'd say photo finish, and then I'd look on TV and it was a neck, and I'm like, oh crap. So and so so I will use that on occasion with uh, with photos. Jason, I've seen you do uh, analysis between races. I know you've done it at Colonial. Is that an issue? Trying to memorize horse names and silks and all that while you're while you're having to do uh, you know well, pick winners. 
<laughs> the good thing is I don't have to do any winter picking. I Jessica, who's our analyst, or Murph, who before, you know, they're kind of more tasked. That I'm usually, I usually just kind of come in for some banter. And you know, my I told Jess, I said I kind of mostly want to talk about what's going on with the tote board and where I maybe see uh, some overlays or underlays and stuff like that. Um, you know, it it's not ideal. I mean, Colonial's tough because they throw a lot of full fields at us and. Because it's a meet where a lot of people are shipping in, the other thing that gets tricky for me is usually there's a, a pretty decent handful of the horses there that don't have their right silks. You know, they'll use the house silks or something like that. And so, um, <laughs> and the other, the, the third tricky part of Colonial is where, where they warm up for the mile and mile and 16 turf races, they warm up at the very top of the dirt track and it's a blind spot for me because I have a flat window. So unless I really hang out, and if I hang out the window, the TV camera's in the way. Dave Rodman will, will, will he's, he'll be the one person that can, can feel my pain about some of the trickiness of the Colonial booth. But I found if I, if I sit in a chair like an, uh, uh, an elevated chair, oddly enough, the ones they use in the casino are like the perfect height. I can see pretty unobstructed all the turf races. The only part is that dirt course, the very top corner I can see, but that's where they warm up for the turf race. So it's, it's tough to memorize there. Um, but no, I, I, I think, uh, I, I'm a, I sit and really try to drill the names into my head. So usually by the time we go on air for the 13 minute to post prattle at colonial, I kind of already got them mostly memorized and then when they come out on the track i have to do post parades there too which also is makes memorizing tough because tampa i just you know say the condition of the race what bets are coming up and then they're literally right in front of me for the next minute or two and i can just stare at them and repeat their names and uh and get them locked in colonial i gotta sit and read the, the owner and trainer which uh you know is fine i mean that's what we always did at portland and river too so i'm, I'm used to doing post parades well jason i've got a thousand questions for you but i i, I know these guys do too so i'm gonna turn it over to alan let him talk for a little bit yeah, Jason. Uh, one thing struck me as we were you were talking there. You've you've called it River. You've called it uh, Colonial Tampa, Grants Pass, Louisiana. Do you hold the North American record by any chance for most tracks called at? I mean, do you know? Oh, not even close. Not even close. Go, go ahead. Go. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a few guys. I, I I've heard Vic's list, and it's Vic. Vic has closed more tracks than I think I've called. At. <laughs> um, but no, I I would venture there's actually a lot of guys that have called at more places than me. I think with me it just seems like more because it's been more in the last couple of years. Because really, up until 2018, I'd only called it. Portland River and and then Louisiana Downs for okay. a, a quarter horse meet. So um, no, I, I think there's guys with a lot longer list. In fact, I know there there is there's a lot of them that have you know Michael Chamberlain. I know is called at a number of places. There you know it's a it's a weird uh, you know what Richard had here, and this was one of the things I was so excited about about getting this job. And obviously, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you know everybody that works here at Tampa Bay has been here for a long time, and Richard was here for 37 years, and and for me. Yeah. The idea of, you know, hope, I, you know, 37 years, I'll be 77. So <laughs> that one's probably not happening. But, you know, if I can, you know, if I could be here long term, I would be thrilled to do it because it, it is tough to, you know, it makes, you know, certainly makes having, I mean, there's not a, there's not a lot of family guys that do this job. I mean, there's not a lot of married guys and, um, you know, that, that's certainly something I hope will happen at some point and having a home base, I think would make that a little bit easier. But, you know, right now I just, I have such a good circuit of tracks and they all treat me great and you know pay me great and all that stuff so it's like i just i kind of want to capitalize on that as much as i can right now yeah you know you, you mentioned uh, talking about tampa living there I, tampa's probably my favorite city it's where i would like to retire to yeah. I, I love the city that much and 
so now that you're down there, and I heard you lament, but lament about this on the show the other day. And one of the benefits of going to Tampa is spring training, right? Oh, and man, was, this yeah. was going to be the, the year to do it. This was going to be the, and now we're not doing it. So that, that's gotta, it's gotta suck. I, I live about, I mean, maybe a three minute drive from where the Phillies stadium is. And so yeah. I drive, I drive by it most days and the blue Jays are like 10 minutes the other way. And so, yeah, I was, I was really jazzed about Cause I, me and my dad used to go to spring training in Arizona for the Mariners, like a lot of years of my childhood. So I, I have a lot of fond spring training memories. So I was very excited about this. And we're of course speaking like an hour after they already canceled the season opener. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's uh that's a bummer, but now the area here is so great. I mean, I will say though, the other night I, I had a friend in town, from Philadelphia visiting and we I we went to dinner in Clearwater Beach which I live right off the road that takes you out to Clearwater Beach so I mean on a normal day it's 10 minutes it took us an hour to get out there every every under 23 year old on the planet seemed to be there that night I mean it, it was a bit of a thing so I I feel like the next month here I'm going to I'm going to be hunkering down a little bit cuz it's it's very much tourist season right now Yeah I I mean I really do love the city Oh it's great uh, but you know baseball. Let's let's get to this baseball thing. All right. Uh, you talked about on the show that you used to play baseball. Yep. In my estimation, you don't expound them on that uh, enough. You were a heck of a baseball player, right? I was I was very good as a youth, and then I was pretty good as a adolescent and teenager and high school player. Like I I was like when I I dominated like when I was younger. Like I was uh, just a smasher and threw heat and all that stuff. And then everybody kind of caught up to me. Like I was late hitting puberty. So like when we were twelve, all the kids that started shooting up and were throwing gas and I was like still five foot two and you know chucking curveballs and stuff. But no, I was uh, I was a good player. My dad was a very good player. He was a full scholarship uh, division one, played at Washington State. You know, he's in their little ring of honor because he threw a a no hitter. He was on the all seventies team and you know he was that was his thing. He just, his arm blew out. His, his, uh, his roommate at Washington state was Ken Phelps, who I'm sure you guys might. The Mariners first baseman, right? Mariners first baseman. And he was famously traded from the Mariners for Jay Buhner. If you remember the Seinfeld episode, uh, uh, George Costanza's dad yells at Steinberg. He's like, why would you trade Ken Phelps for Jay Buna? <laughs> <laughs> and so, but Phelps was my dad's freshman year college roommate. They both went to Washington state and Phelps, uh, ended up, he decided to transfer to go to Arizona state. And he told my dad, he's like, why don't you come with me, man? Great weather. It's a great program. My dad's like, nah, cause my dad had a big freshman year. So he's like, I got to stay here. And my dad's arm blew out from throwing in the cold and oh. spent 10 years in the big leagues. My dad used to love to whine about that, but, um, but yeah, like, so I, you know, I was very much raised with baseball as a, as a primary sport. And my dad threw, you know, hundreds of innings of BP in the backyard with wiffle balls and then eventually into real balls. And he was our coach, you know, for a lot of growing up. And, um, you know, I, we had some of my best friends still are guys from, from growing up playing baseball. In fact, I got to coach little league last spring with one of my best friends who I played from age 15 to 18 with. And, um, that was, that was so much fun. The kids were amazing. And it was just like for me and him to get to do that all these years later was, was really, really cool. But I mean, I was, yeah, I was, I think I was second team all league pitcher for in high school. Like I had a couple of junior college offers, but I was, I was over it by the time I was done. And and so, uh, that, so that was that, but no, I, I, I love baseball. I still love baseball. I don't watch it as much as I used to, but I think that's one of the problems baseball's dealing with. A lot of people aren't doing watching as much yeah. as they used to. Uh, you're preaching the choir because I was I was the same way when I was younger. I loved I loved the game. I loved to play. I don't think I was quite as good as you, but I could play a little bit. And it just seems like it fades. It just fades. Yeah. The, our, I mean, our, and plus the history of it was so fun. I was obsessed with like yes, the Black Sox scandal. My mom used to drive me around. We'd look for cards that were like rare and. Um, 
you know, I, I read every book about, you know, I, it was funny. Like I, I, I talked about that on the show recently. Like my, my base, I know way more about baseball history than I do horse racing history. Like I used to be obsessed with reading about Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and all these players. And when it comes to like 1930s horse racing, I'm like, I don't care. I want to know about the pick four coming up later today. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. So you've seen Pride of the Yankees then, right? You've seen Pride oh, of the yeah, Yankees. Oh yeah, yeah. Gary Cooper. Yeah. Oh, just I, I, that, that movie was my childhood and, yeah. and such. So I, I'm the same way. I was a baseball historian and uh, it's kind of faded from and now. It seems like anything that's happened in the last 20 years. I don't, I don't know what happened, but that's on me. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's like you can name every World Series in the 80s and 90s, like, and and you know exactly who won and what games. And, you know, I I had dinner with a little humble brag here with Lafitte Pinkai III and Matt Carruthers after the same finals. Yeah, big, 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 uh, big industry dinner. But me and Matt were talking about, he was talking about the, you know, the Twins World Series they won. And, like, I can remember Kirby Puckett hitting off of Charlie Lee Branton. Like, I, I couldn't tell you any of that stuff from the last 10 years. I will say, though, being on the road, more the last few years i've gone to a number of, i got to go to the uh yankees i got to go to fenway park i got to wow. go to the, or- the camden yards was my favorite that was unreal last year i went down there even though I've the orioles are, the orioles are yeah. atrocious but um but that's been kind of one of the cool things is getting to go like and you know i don't know who most of the guys are but it's still just it's still a fun thing to go spend a night watching a baseball game yeah, you talk about uh, cool things. Uh, we talk about horse racing podcasts. We got to touch on the podcast a little bit because you know, we're on a podcast right now, and believe it or not, there are more than two horse racing podcasts out there, folks. Such as ours and Jason's. Uh, they're a dime a dozen, and they catch their share of snark. But uh, I maintain that the people that we get to know on this podcast, and we've been incredibly fortunate to get to know a lot of great people. That that that's actually the great benefit. Of, of doing these shows and and i guess you probably feel the same way to some extent absolutely no i i uh i i it's funny because obviously we've been going at it now for i think we just hit six or january was six years i've been doing the show so we've done like 1600 episodes now at this point and, um you know when i started with it there was kind of just steve bick and you know hrn was around and then i think the drf had a had a podcast i think back then it was like fornatel and kinchin and uh and maybe mike hogan or matt bernier and but really there was not the the litany of podcasts and so I've I've had people over the years ask me like oh I'm thinking about doing a podcast and my response is if you really like broadcasting do a podcast because it is a it's a fun exercise in that and um you know I I've had people say like don't annoy you there's so many podcasts and not at all like I think it's great that people can find a different voices b right. different topics within i think one of the things i like about what you guys do is, is obviously you're very kentucky centric you're yeah. focused on your one circuit you know I, I i try to cover everything but you know that's not really doable and so i do think it's important if you are going to start a racing thing to kind of find your niche and you know early on we did a lot of comedy bits and song parodies and videos and all that kind of stuff and just to kind of separate a little bit from from anything that that, that might be out there but the only the only thing that i think is is tough with there being so many shows is it puts a strain on guests because yes. we're all kind of fighting over, I shouldn't say fighting over, but we're all pulling from the same pool. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, you gotta be creative. Yeah. You gotta be creative. Yeah. Oh, and, and you just, you know, I, I'm sure that the top, top trainers, they don't want to be going on somebody's show every week, especially when a lot of them, frankly, have five people listening. Like, you know, it's just not not worth their time. And so that and, and then I think but I think that trickles down to like, you know, oh, I can't do your show. I've done five shows this week. And and that's another you don't want to have the same guests that the people have on, you know, at the same time. You know, a lot of times, you know, oh, if it's it's you mentioned Caitlin, like big, big week at Turfway. Right. So she's going to be on five shows next week. And uh, and it, it kind of kills the exclusivity of having. So I I've gotten to the point now when it comes to like big 
big days, I try to wait like a couple weeks or, you know, like when they, whoever wins NHC, I always wait a couple months because they're going to be on five shows the week after they win the NHC. I want to talk to them, you know, five months down the road when nobody has in a while, when they've, you know, kind of settled into the, you know, Hey, I made, made 750,000 and you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's, you know, it, there, there's a lot of them, but I, I don't think it's a bad thing. And, and I think for people, if you really just like broadcasting and like you said, like talking to people, like I know Michelle levels one who you guys have on like, who's cooler than Michelle. I got to have dinner with Michelle a couple times at colonial this summer. And like, she's just so fun to talk to and she's you know, awesome. getting, to, getting to talk to people like that in racing and hear their life story. It's really a privilege, right? Like you're, it is. Every, yeah. I mean, everybody in racing has a story and most of them have very interesting stories. Yeah. Uh, that's, and that's another thing about with guests. One of the things we like to do is we like to find the people that we think are up and comers that don't get those Todd Pletcher type requests and stuff sure. and get, let them let them get to speak or whatever. So and they and a lot of people appreciate it. Uh, a lot of oh, people yeah. are actually flattered and it makes me feel good. It makes the other guys feel good. Uh, but in, in light of a podcast, what is your typical podcast attire? Like right now I'm rocking a John Mellencamp Cam T-shirt and some pajama pants. <laughs> what, what what are you usually uh, knocking out of the park when you're when you're doing yours? You know, when I first started, I was uh, I mean, yeah, it was PJs and T-shirts. I did find that working from home though, um, it's important. I feel like to kind of get and and granted, you know, like I said, mine is is a job, right? And so it is a little right. different. I, and I don't mean to don't mean that in any kind of disrespect. I just think that it is a little different in the sense that I found that for me, I was, I was more professional if I did at least put on normal pants. And oh, really? Bloody like dog. Once again, yeah. I mean, there, believe me, there's, there's certainly been, you know, topless uh, interviews, but, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, and the, the, one of the neat things I always say about podcasts is, you know, you can kind of do it whenever and wherever. And yeah, yeah. there's been times where I, I remember Jose Valdivia, I asked him about coming on and he was at, he was in Florida at the time and I, and he was like, you know, uh, he's like, would it be a problem if we do it kind of early? I was, and I was out West. So I said, yeah, yeah what are you thinking? And he goes, how about 7am my time? <laughs> so it's four in the morning. And Whoa. I, yeah. And, and so, and I, you know, I was, I was staying with family at the time. So I, I had to go into my car in the garage and, and do this interview. And I'm like, good afternoon. Welcome to the JSP Morris race. Po-, you know, trying to <laughs> not wake anybody up, but you know, I, I remember interviewing Gabby Godette from the parking lot at the Burger King in Lake Shasta, California. And, uh, Steve Asmussen, I remember he was, I had asked to interview him and his kind of assistant was like, you know, he's going to be able to do it. I just don't know when. And it was one of those things where I had to run an errand. So I brought my mic and stuff with me. And of course they called when I'm like half hour from the house. She's like, he's ready right now. Call him. So I literally interviewed him from my car in a parking lot and it was 90 degrees outside. So you hear me in the middle of the interview, dumping ice on the back of my head. (laughs) <laughs> trying to not die of heat exhaustion with uh, with Steve Aspen. And he had won like a half million dollar stake, so he was in a damn fine mood. <laughs> I bet he was. Oh. Hey, Brandon, do you want to ask Mr. Beam a question or two? Yeah, I, uh, I've kind of always thought about how technology can play a role in horse racing, the, the industry, the races itself, the gambling aspect. Now, obviously, they've made leaps, leaps and bounds with having apps. You know, we can bet on these twin spires or whatever betting app. that's the only one you need to mention twin spire yeah, yeah. Twin, and twin spires edge which which jason <laughs> contributes to yeah and 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 you can get off the app and if you're out of a sector you can go on the web and make beds so yeah, i mean yeah. it's it's been very awesome but uh what do you think that you know why hasn't horse racing adopted more technologies with like either chips you know on jockeys or the horse or you know what are your thoughts to tech 
to kind of move this into the next century, I guess, you know, the next 10 years, what, what is the horse racing industry going to do to innovate during races or, you know, things like that to make it more transparent and more appealing to the younger, younger gambler? Well, a lot of it's investment, right? I mean, that's, that's something they're going to have to do. Uh, you know, the, the technology thing, I mean, when you talk about the tote system and, and photos oh. and all that stuff, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly frustrating. On the other hand, when you talk about, like you said, the, I mean, I remember when my dad was, he, he passed in 2001 and I remember him saying when he was homesick, he goes, I wish I could just bet from home. And I think like, you know, 20 years later, like, geez, dad, you could literally bet from anywhere right now, you know? Um, and so, but like, you know, I think we're seeing it slowly. You'll see like drones during races we've seen introduced at a few places. And, you know, those, those things can be beneficial, but every time I see camera angles that are a lot different, you know, when people try to get creative or, you know, Gulfstream has that, that head on down the backstretch cause they got to avoid the big TV. Like I think they're, they just distract and, and I don't like them. Even the, the Dubai angle that we see with that, you know, the moving car from the inside rail, like it's a neat angle. It's also tough to kind of get a gauge who's moving. And I think we're just all so used to the pan shot. And so when the pan shot is well conducted and in HD, it's, it's kind of tough to beat, but I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is just going to be investment and, you know, and, people somebody who's willing to think out of the box i'm not the best at that kind of stuff so i don't try to pretend and, you know i always used to joke that everybody thinks they're a marketing expert <laughs> and knows what to do and how to fix things and uh, I, I i'm not one of those people I, i'm a little bit of a worker bee and you know stay in my lane all right well i'll transition then to what do you think i, I guess in the last i don't know maybe 20 years some of your top horses in the industry something that you like to follow do you follow pedigrees or sires or you know big races you know who is just i guess on basics like what was your best horse that you've enjoyed watching through the years that that didn't get retired at age four yeah i i mean i i'm certain i'm not a pedigree player i've never the fact that was one of my new year's resolutions was to kind of start learning a little bit more about that stuff because especially analysts i work with like at, at colonial with jessica and here at tampa with ren like that's their focus right or one of their main focuses and i'm just like um i remember that horse he was good <laughs> like i don't I couldn't tell you what a turf hoof is or or any of that kind of stuff so uh that's always been my weak point i mean i kind of try to come at it especially in the last couple of years from way more of a mathematical standpoint and, and ticket structure and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, as far as favorite horses, I feel like you fall in love with local horses, especially when you call it smaller tracks. Um, we had one that ran in, in Grants Pass and even in, when I was at Portland Meadows named Kent Chaco, who ended up becoming like, I think was the winningest active horse for, I think the horse won 47 times. <laughs> And, Gosh. you know, and, and by the way, made like 120 grand. I mean, it was all yeah. small tracks, but I called his debut at Portland in like Oh nine. And then I called his final race, I think in, uh, in 2020. And so horses oh, like wow. that, are, it's, horses like that are such just a neat, neat part of the sport. And so I will always have a soft spot for, for an old veteran gelding type. And, yeah. you know, growing up, I said, I, you know, Captain Condo, I mentioned, uh, there's a horse named Grandstand Gabe that I used to love, uh, that was at Long Acres as a kid. And then through the Emerald Downs years, um, uh, Wasserman is, is, is one that really comes to mind. He was a really, really great local horse. And, you know, I, I mean, I obviously Zenyatta and Rachel and those types are, are amazing, but I, I find I tend to, to fall in love more with the, the local ones at this, whatever tracks I'm at. No, I think it's really cool. Um, you know, there's a couple other, th oh gosh, I had one, uh, one question on the tip of my tongue and I've already forgot it as you were going into it. But, um, uh, I guess 
it'll come back five minutes after we hang up. Yeah, yeah, of course. When we do the the after the post uh, the after post, show, yeah, yeah, post show. But um, I guess uh, when oh gosh, Craig Allen, you got any more? Because I I forgot it. And it's so good. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've, I've got a few more for uh, for Jason. Uh, Jason, I want to talk about this book that you wrote a, several yeah. years ago. Uh, how how did that come about? The idea to write a book and 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 how was it received? It was uh, it was a journal entry that went astray. Um, it was a I, my fascination and my like I used to have this really passionate thought about. I just want to run away and become a professional gambler. Like that was always like the the dream. And I knew that I never, ever had the discipline to do it. I was a terrible gambler. And, you know, for, for the means I had, I certainly bet too much at the time, but I, um, you know, it was, I, I did a journal entry on what that would look like if I did that. And basically I turned that journal entry. I, I had an outline for the book, in my head real fast. And our season had just ended at Portland Meadows. And so I had a lot of downtime and, um, I literally, I wrote an outline down and I just started writing and I, and I, you know, I studied English in college and, or I was an English minor. And so I had, I had writing background of sorts, but never anything long form like that. And, uh, I wrote the first draft in like two and a half months. I mean, it just poured out of me. I just, I really had the story and the characters and everything, uh, really well first. And I, I used a lot of my background to jump it off, but you know, a lot of people think it's like an autobiography or something that really happened and it's not, but the characters kind of, you know, his starting point was a lot of my background. I mean, I certainly had to muddy him up a little bit and, um, you know, I'm a lot of the things that, like I say, it's mostly fiction, but there's, there's, there's definitely truth nuggets in there. But, um, you know, I thought once you, I didn't know anything about doing a book, but is there, are you guys hearing like a grinding sound? Is that me? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. Yeah, it's not me. It's okay. not me. I don't think. I don't. I don't hear it. <laughs> well then, there I you think. Go. Well, because I think we found out where the grinding sounds yeah. coming from. <laughs> Sorry, it was, it was. But anyways, but um, yeah, there it goes. There it is again. <laughs> we'll live. We'll make okay. it. Uh, but anyways, so um. I think book, where were we at here? Book. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought I didn't know anything about the publishing world. And there was a guy named Willie Vlotten who was an author in Portland, uh, who wrote a book called lean on Pete that w- was made into a movie recently or in a few years after that. And Willie wrote lean on Pete at Portland Meadows. And so I got to be friends with him, uh, during that process. And I actually toured him around when his, when they bought the movie rights to that, which was like 2011 or something, I toured him and this British producer around the track. And the guy told me, he's like, if we ever get this made, you got to be our announcer. I was like, yeah, sure. Great. So anyways, in, in, in which eventually of course happened. But, um, during the time Willie was writing that book, you know, we got to be buddies and, and he's just a really sweet guy. He's a, he's a really great musician. He was in a band called Richmond Fontaine and uh, the Delines, you know, kind of popular local Portland bands. He toured Europe and all that stuff. And then he started writing novels. And um, when I finished Southbound, I, I kind of asked him, I was like, well, what do I do? I just spell check this and then send it to publishers. And he kind of sat me down and explained the, the process. And he, he the first thing he said was, he goes, first of all, don't look at it for another month. He goes, you've just been completely in this he goes give it a time away and he goes and then spend six months editing it yourself i go excuse me six months <laughs> you wow and so i did that um he was nice enough to to read the book and offered a lot of really great feedback um there was another writer in portland who i, I really admired named lydia yuknovich and she did the same thing for me she was the one who told me she goes she goes this feels way too 
personal and close to you. The fact, cause it was all in third person. She goes, she goes, this has to be in first person. So I literally went, had to change every he to I and make everything, you know, first person. That was a, that was a month in and of itself. But, um, I got really lucky because I, I stumbled into an agent kind of through Willie and they got a publishing deal not that long afterwards with the group called Panda Moon Publishing. And, um, it was still another year or so of editing after that. And they did all the cover design and all that kind of stuff. But it was, it was a really neat process. I was very proud of the fact just to complete like a project that that was that big, you know, that was four years in the making, I guess, or three and a half years, um, from, from tip to tail. And, uh, and it's still, you know, we, we, we did pretty well with it. They, I originally had a five-year publishing deal. Um, they, they re up for another five years, a couple years ago. And, uh, the publishers made money. I made some money and, um, we did, we did sell the movie shopping rights for a year and a half, but then they didn't renew that. So that, that, that dream died, but, um, they did an audio book recently. It's just been, it's been really neat. I've gotten a lot of people sent me nice notes about it. I've had people, you know, who were compulsive gamblers that sent notes. There was one lady who sent me a note. She was like 70 years old and she was talking about how her dad 50 years ago was a, a problem gambler and the book gave her some insight maybe into what he was going through and, you know, stuff like that is just amazing to, um, you know, to put out something that, that reaches people like that. And so that, that was to me has been the coolest part of it. And it's developed a little following in racing. Like it seems like a lot of people have read it and, uh, are, are, are kind of into it. So I caught an article on the Pollock report that said that this was, I think it was around 2019. Was this going to be made into a movie? Yeah. Well, they had, uh, there was a couple of agents who had purchased the right, the, the way it works is it's weird. They purchased the right to shop it out like basically they purchased the right to to go out and try to get it sold to a a, a movie company or or director or whoever and um they wanted me to write the script for it because obviously that would save them money <laughs> but <laughs> um and, and but they wanted to and, and it's funny because willie told me because he's actually had two books made into movies one was called the motel life and one was lean on pete and um he told me, he goes, they're going to just see when I, when I was telling him about this, I, he goes, they're going to want to change it. So like the first thing they wanted to do was make it like a, where he was a really good gambler. <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of not the story. And so <laughs> it was, it was months and months of like trying to figure out, you know, the angle that they wanted. Cause you know, I mean, it was also their money. So I was, you know, I, I had input, but I, I wasn't going to just be like, no, but it just kind of, you know, they, when they, when they buy the rights to shop it, they did it for 18 months. And then when that was over, they just decided because the pandemic started like toward the end of that. And so it was kind of, you know, everything just kind of went away. And I was hoping, yeah, I was hoping uh, this would be done. So we know, we know somebody that made a movie, you know, <laughs> he was in a movie. I was in a movie. Yeah. Oh, you were. Okay. Well, tell us about that. Yeah. I, well, I, I mentioned lean on Pete, uh, that they made, uh, literally like five or six years after I toured with those toured those guys around the track, I got an email from a casting agent in Portland. They're like, yeah, we wanted to inquire about you being the announcer for this movie. Lean on Pete. It's being made. I'm like, Oh crap. Cause I hadn't talked to Willie in a couple of years. I'd been away from Portland Meadows and, um, so they, they were taping, it would have been Labor Day of 20, oh man, Labor Day of 2015 or 16. I'm not sure which, probably 16, Labor Day of 2016. And um, I got to go down, I was on the set for two days and I just had to call a couple races and then I had to do a lot of like background chatter and I had to be the, also the fair announcer. So I did that from home just on my studio stuff. But what was really cool was the the two nights I was there, um, the the 
the, the, the kid who was the star of the movie was there. And then Steve Buscemi, who was the trainer was also there. And he was in the trailer next to mine. Like I got my own trailer. It was, it was really cool. And on the, I, I have a picture still of the casting call sheet. Cause it literally says the kid, Chloe 70, who was the jockey, Steve Buscemi and Jason beam under actors. <laughs> so, and if I may, if I yeah. may, I looked that up today and uh, you were listed on IMDb. You yep. may be aware of this or not. You are oh, yeah. listed ahead of Chloe Sevigny yep. and Steve Zahn. You're right behind Steve Buscemi. <laughs> well, to be so fair, you... they do it. They do it in order of appearance. <laughs> well, we don't have to, we don't have to go through that. <laughs> but no, but what was so cool was Steve Buscemi because he had done uh, some episodes of Portlandia, the TV show that was a skit yeah. show, and he was in this amazing skit. It's really funny. It was, it was the feminist bookstore, and all he wants to do is he he just wants to go to the bathroom, and they're like, well, you can't just use the bathroom unless you're a customer. So he's like, okay, I want this book. And they're like, no, you don't want that one. That's talking about, you know, uh, how women were used in the sixties for profit. <laughs> they start lecturing him about the books that he's picking out. He's like, I just want to go to the bathroom. But he, but in turn, he, he got to spend time in Portland and he really loved it. So he was saying that that was part of the reason he took the, the role was because he wanted to just spend the summer in, in Oregon. And, uh, and he was such a sweet guy. Like he asked so many questions about racing and, uh, you know, he was like, how do you talk so fast? And what would a trainer say here? Like he was just so inquisitive about it and just a really good and he and he, he smoked cigarettes so he was always outside of the trailer so that was i just ended up sitting outside the whole time just to talk to him and you know you know That's just awesome. kind of pick his brain and so that that was really really a cool thing and i you know the movie was not a hit by any means it's 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 still on showtime so i still get like 30 bucks in royalties every every quarter but um i think it's a really sweet movie it's got a good heart and i thought well, a really interesting thing that willie told me was I asked him, you know, how he how he liked it, and he was saying he goes everything was great. I, the director was on. He goes the only thing that threw me off. He goes is the kid is really good looking. He goes and when I wrote the book, in my head and in my heart, and you know that's with novels, you know it's it's theater of the mind, right? Like you, you yeah. get to kind of create. He goes, I just never had him as a good looking kid. <laughs> he goes and that kind of <laughs> that kind of throws me off. He, but the kid was great, and he's you know he's gone on to be being a couple other movies. And he was actually the kid was seventeen when they were making the movie, so his mom had to be there on set. And so I sat and talked with her while they were shooting and. Um, you know, she was obviously very excited because the kid ended up like his next movie that he was doing right after that was like his first big movie. It was the, um, the Getty, I forget what it's called, all the money in the world. I think it's called, it was the one where Kevin Spacey was Getty and then Kevin Spacey got in trouble. And like, after they'd made the movie, they had to, uh, edit it in with the new actor. And, uh, but it was like Mark Wahlberg was in, I mean, it was a huge, you know, movie. And so the kid was kind of taken off like right when, when they were there. And so it was kind of neat to see that period in, in their life. Cause obviously they're excited for their son. Yeah, seven degrees of Jason Beam right there. Seven degrees. Yeah, it was. But it, like I said, it, it's it's on Showtime. It's a good movie. And the, a funny, another little funny part about that is the first scene you hear me. It's it's five minutes in the movie. The kid's like jogging around and he sees the track and he walks in. And first of all, they had to call it Portland Downs because it's you know it's not the greatest painting of horse racing. And so yeah. Portland Portland Meadows wasn't comfortable using their name, so they actually superimposed Portland Downs. And you see the running neon horse that was kind of the famous thing for Portland Meadows. And um. But uh, when the kid walks in, you hear you hear me in the background calling a race on simulcast, supposedly. But it's actually my demo tape from Portland Meadows. <laughs> and you'll hear me say something to the effect of, you know, so-and-so looks so – because Russell Bays wrote at Portland Meadows once, and, and he won a race. And I had this line, like, totally – you know, memorizing case that came up and Russell starts looping around and I said, Leslie Mowing takes a looks over his shoulder and feels the presence of 10,000 career wins. And, and that's the part you hear uh, in there. So I always get a kick out. I've watched the movie probably three or four times and that, that always makes me laugh when I see that because it's literally my demo tape from like 2011. I'm going to check that out. I'm yeah. all for that. 
All right, Jason, let's uh, bring things back to horse racing real yeah. quick before we let you go. Uh, the Kentucky Derby is less than two months away. It is, yeah. And Tampa Bay Downs has an important prep race oh, next man. Saturday. Not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday. Uh, Classic Causeway was the winner of the Sam A. Davis Stakes, so the prep for the for the Tampa Bay Derby. Looks like he's going to come back uh, in that race. How's that, how's that race shaping up? Um, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me that I hadn't thought about that in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, the knot in my stomach won't start till next week. I've gotten a lot better about it. like, let's just focus on what's, what's coming up. But the Sam Davis went pretty well. So I feel like I feel more comfortable about big races now. You know, I mean, uh, I think I've called 10 graded stakes races now, so they're, they're not, they're, I'm not, I'm not used to them yet, but it's a different beast, obviously. But, um, Classic Causeway was awesome. He broke so good in that race. I remember because I was looking at the 13 out of the gate because he was supposed to be the real wicked speed. And out of the corner of my eye, when they went off, you know, I was I was like, who the hell is that? Because that somebody just jumped the gate and it was him. And um, I think, first of all, we I don't know for sure. They, he, they, I know the trainer had originally committed to it, and then he kind of said, well, we might go just Florida Derby. It's a million bucks. And um, obviously, a lot of horses who had kind of been rattle and roll was originally supposed to go in, and he's scheduled to go this weekend uh, in the uh, Fountain of Youth. And so, uh, Emmanuel, who's another horse we saw at Tampa, who I think is really going to be good. Um, you know, he 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 ran an, a little allowance here, and you know, I've I've been able to call some pretty decent horses over the years, and when you see the real like the really good ones like it's just a it looks different through the binoculars and it looks different to your eye and this horse had that that last 16th of a mile like he really just looked uh like he maybe you know i don't want to say breathe a different air or something corny like that but he, he just you know he had the look to me so i'm really excited to see what he can do this weekend but um yeah as far as our race i know bell grand motions uh, got a horse that just won an allowance named belgrade that's supposed to be coming um you know, with Mo Donegal drawing the 12 hole, I almost wondered maybe if they would be like, eh, let's just wait a week. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm curious. It seemed like for a while there, we were leading up to a classic Causeway versus rattle and roll, like big matchup. And now I got to think if classic Causeway comes with kind of who's expected to come, he, he might be a pretty decent favorite and he might be somewhat tough to beat, but I, I'd like to see him be able to rate just cause he doesn't look to me like a, a horse that's going to be a speedy front runner, you know, especially if some of those West coast horses that aren't allowed in <laughs> somehow get in, like, you know, it's a, it's going to be a different thing. So I'm curious if he does come, if, if he's going to be able to rate, but, um, he was, he, he looked pretty darn good. Yeah, he did rate in the Kentucky jockey club, as I recall. Yeah. And that was probably the definitive two year old race yeah. of, of last year, but he did be win. fair. I thought he, I thought he rated in the Sam F Davis. I think there's a thought that if you're on the lead, you're not rating, but right, the other yeah. horse kind of came up. I, I thought he kindly just took the bridle. Like I thought he, I read really got him settled nicely. Cause when, by the time they went on the turn, it, to my eye, it was plainly obvious that nobody was really gaining on him. Even the, even the horse that was up alongside him, um, they weren't gaining on him at that point yet either. And so once he, you know, once he released the brakes, it was like, it was two and a half, three lengths real fast. So is that in the back of your mind that when you're calling a, a big stakes race, Hey, uh, this, they might use this on a, on Oh, forget a, about a, it. Yeah. Stallion I, commercial, you know, I, I, I true, I truthfully try to like, first of all, once the race is getting going, like, yeah, all that crap goes out of your head. But before it, like I'll, I'll have dumb thoughts like that all the time. I mean, I, uh, before the Sam F Davis, I have bad acid reflux sometimes and I was having some issues with that. And all I could think about, I was like, Oh God, if I get like short of air here, like this, you know, <laughs> I believe me, I'm a complete neurotic with that kind of stuff. So don't plant that seed in my head, but it, but it's true. Like, no, no, but, but 
I believe me, it's it's there anyways. Um, what I what I've gotten better at realizing is this happens almost every time I'm nervous for a race. And the good thing about big races is they happen at the end of the card, so you're already into the groove of calling races. And you know, with a day like Sam Davis Day or Tampa Bay Derby Day, you've also already called two or three big races. And so you know, you're kind of you're just you're just locked in. And every time, like the most nervous I ever was, and I can argue the probably the most watched race I ever call was maximum security in his first race after the Derby, uh, at Monmouth. And I remember having the thought as they were going to the gate, like, what the hell am I doing this for? Why do I, why am I making my, why, why is this my career? I could, I could be sitting behind a desk and, you know, and doing fine. But, um, but the same thing happens every time they break from the gate. You're nervous for those first few steps. And for some reason, like the minute I put my face onto the binoculars, there's this like calm of, I know how to do this. I've done this 10,000 times. And, you know, Margo, my boss, she even told me, she goes, it's just the 10th race at Tampa. That's all it is. Yeah. You know, and so once once I get in that headspace, in a weird way, it kind of becomes fun. And I'm not someone who, who's like an action or thrill junkie. Like, I hate adrenaline. But, um, you know, like in the Sam F. Davis, I remember having a thought at the half mile pole, like, this is this is good. I'm I'm gonna be fine. And then you know there was the there was a horse in there named Shipsational who's also supposed to come to the Tampa Derby. And I tripped on his name. Like I I got my ships and stationals tangled for just two seconds, right? And it's just a tiny little thing. But oh god, like by the end of that, I was like, and here's Shipsational on the outside. And <laughs> I remember when they crossed the wire, I was like, that stupid horse name, like, you know, because everything had gone so well up until then. But it was one of the things like I don't consider that a mistake. Like I I think of that as a flub, but it's not a mistake in my opinion. That could have been worse. Shit. Oh, oh. That could have been worse. <laughs> oh, believe me. That's a wor- it's a word salad waiting to happen. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, before we let Jason go, any, any last words or questions or parting thoughts? Uh, Sammy no, Camacho. I, Sammy Camacho. What, what about he Samuel? Dominates ta- yeah. He dominates Tampa. He dominates Tampa. That was my question. I've been trying to text the podcast, but they don't look at their text when I'm trying yeah. to get in. But uh, – <laughs> You know, what do you know about Sammy? Like, tell us a little bit about him, because I swear, it, it, whenever I look at Tampa, Sam is, Sammy's winning like one out of every four races on on days. I know he yeah. ships around for a little bit, but that's his circuit. It seems like is how, how is he? Have you met with him before? You know, it's funny. I really have not met many of the jockeys here. Um, earlier in the season, there was still some COVID protocols and stuff in place here. I think those have mostly gone away, but, um, so you kind of weren't, you know, welcome into the jocks room. And to be honest, like I have, you know, by the time I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck up where I'm at and you know, that, that doesn't lend to getting down and talking a lot of riders. like Rocco Bowen. I know really well, cause he was at Portland for years and Emerald and stuff like that, but I have not met Sammy. I've never talked to Sammy. Um, I obviously get to watch him ride. He, you know, he rides a lot of the best horses, right? He's first call when Chad's over here. Um, he, I think he's up 10 or 12 in the standings. Pablo Morales, who's second in the standings, I should add, uh, has a higher winner percentage than, than Sammy does. And boy, he puts some on the turf. Pablo puts some rides on to me. He's, he's one of the, he's the guy to watch. I think in this colony, um, okay. I just see him, I just see him routinely making very good decisions and good rides. One of the things I really like about this track is it's for the most part, it's very fair and the turf races, you get big fields and it's, it's really does come down to trip and you know, who's on the best horse, but, um, it's a pretty solid con. I mean, Pablo, I think is the only guy at 20%, you know, for, you know, IRAD's at 50%, he only comes up for one day, but you know, there's a lot of 15, 12, 13% riders. To me, that's always indicative of of somewhat of a competitive circuit. And, you know, I mean, Sammy rides, one of the things Sammy loves to do is, um, you know, if, 
if if Sammy's got a winner, he likes to he likes to wrap it up pretty early. And uh, I, I've used a call a couple times. It was actually a, a Pete Aiello comment in one of our text sessions one time because I because Sammy took the lead with like three jumps to go, and he he you know he looked pretty confident when it was a, like a head margin. And uh, Pete Pete texts me and he goes, "Look at Sammy going into victory formation early." And I go, "Pete, I'm going to use that." He goes, "Yeah, go ahead. I've never used." So when it, there's been a couple times where, you know, Sammy's on a Chad Brown one to five shot that takes over at the 16th pole and he wraps up and I said, Sammy goes into victory formation to so-and-so wins it by three. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, cool. I, I, I enjoy our writers uh, as far as their abilities and watching them. And, you know, you, I'm, I'm still learning here, right? Like I've, I've always watched Tampa races, but never as, you know, as much as you obviously do when you're, when you're calling the races. So I, I'm getting to learn a lot about these guys this year and, um, and that's been a really cool spot. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, writers who we've had a neat story, Maddie Rowland, who's a, a jockey who's, you know, was a 10 pound bug, won her first race here. And she's, I think she's eight for like 45, like she's like 18% and off to a kind of a fast start in her career. And, uh, you know, I, I love getting to see stuff like that. Getting to call somebody's first win is like one of the coolest things about our mm-hmm. job It's like, they're going to have yeah. that video forever. And you, you got to be a little part of that. Well, thanks, Jason. Points well taken. <laughs> you got to meet Sammy. Get out and meet him. <laughs> well, uh, I will make it. I, you know, it's funny because every track I'm at, I always go to the jocks room, usually a few times during the year, if anything, because I know him and want to say hi and stuff like that. Colonial, I usually do. But I just, with the COVID stuff earlier in the year, I just have not had a chance to go down there. Well, Jason, we thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, we're very, very, very much looking forward to your call, the Tampa Bay Derby and all the big races next Saturday. Uh, like I said, this has been a pleasure to talk to you and pleasure to, to, to finally get to meet you. And, uh, hopefully we'll cross paths, uh, all of us down the road at some point. I feel like with race trackers, there's a decent chance of that happening. I think it's, are you going to make it to Louisville? Uh, will you get a chance to come to, for Derby week? Or I I got a lot of pals no, here? no, I, uh, I, I, last year, I might do what I did last year. So last year I got to spend a week over there, but they were already done. Cause I have to, when we we leave here, I leave here the day after Derby when we end because I have to be back to Grants Pass the next Monday. Yeah. So, um, and then, but when I come back here for that little two day summer meet they have to run, I have a ten day break between then and Colonial starting. And so last year I had a two week break. I went, I spent a week in Louisville, went up to the Indiana Derby with uh, Scott Shapiro, and I uh, Louisville's kind of become a f- town I like to kind of just hang in. It's uh, I I know a lot of people there obviously, and it's it's. It's got uh, it's got a little charm. I, I I was to be truthfully honest, like before the Tampa thing coming around, I had actually started looking at houses over there because I thought it might be smart to just be based over there, um, you know, working for for Twin Spires for so long and and just kind of, you know, being out west, you're so removed from the racing industry other than Emerald, and so I was I was uh, I was doing a little shopping and then uh, and then Richard retired and that killed that idea. So now I'm shopping down here. <laughs> our loss, our loss. Absolutely, indeed. All right, boys. You, uh, let's, you can get you can get a house for insane cheap there. I mean, uh, I've been looking. No, you can't, buddy. Oh, is, <laughs> is that yeah? It's, it's, it's we, we There's no money, houses. Maybe. Okay, huh? your money. I mean, a year, a year ago, it was like you could find yeah. nice, cute houses for a buck and a quarter. It was crazy. Things have changed, brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's down here at same Florida, forget about it. I looked a year ago, and it was now it's uh, it's a little tough. Yeah. All right, so we'll we'll wrap it up here, uh, Jason. We like I said, we, we're grateful that you spent the time with us tonight. Uh, good luck uh, the rest of the year, and, and good luck next Saturday with the uh, the Tampa Bay Derby. And uh, boys, we'll uh, we'll end this podcast uh, right now while we're on a good note. Uh, 
On behalf of Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and of course, uh, Mr. Jason Beam, this is CC Broadus reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.